Welcome to Granite State Golfers with Micah. I'm an avid amateur golfer in New Hampshire. This podcast dives into the stories of the top amateur golfers in my home state. We are about to tee off. Please join me. Episode 17 features the return of Jim Silly, who was the guest on Episode 4. Jim just won his second straight Player of the Year award from the New Hampshire Golf Association. We discuss his impressive 2022 season, and he also takes us through the ups and downs of his final round last month in the New Hampshire Mid-Am. We also talk about how he will be approaching the offseason. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Jim, it was nice to meet you last month at the New Hampshire Mid-Am in person. Welcome back to Granite State Golfers, and congratulations on earning your second straight Player of the Year award. Yeah, thanks, Mike. It's great to be here. Uh, when I talked to you earlier this year, I didn't know that I'd talk to you again. But when we saw each other on the 13th tee at Owl's Nest and started talking about, you know, who is your next uh, victim here, you know, whoever wins the event. And I'm like, well, considering I've got the lead right now, there's a nice chance that might happen. And then as I threw up all over myself, the final round in the front nine and ended up losing to James, I was like, well, I guess it's not going to be me. <laughs> But here we are. Here we are. Well, I, I do want to, we'll get back to the to the mid-end, but congratulations on this award. Um, to start about this award, can you describe how the Player of the Year award is determined? For those familiar with the FedEx Cup points on the PGA Tour, is it similar to that in that you accumulate points throughout the whole season? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a point. So every tournament, you can find right on the NHGA website, um, every tournament has points associated to it. Um, except for like the tournament series, you know, those quota events, they don't, but like even going to like the spring four ball, or if you're on the tri-state team and you win matches, I think there's points for that. Um, which I think actually ultimately was the deciding factor, which I, I never even considered that in the past. Um, cause it was pretty close between Ryan and I, I think it like came down to 35 points, you know, but it's a, an accumulation throughout the course of the year. And obviously the major championships, you know, the, the stadium, the mid-am, the stroke play um, are weighted a little heavier. Four ball um, championships weighted a little heavier, but it's um, it is just an accumulation throughout the course of the year. Congratulations, and obviously a sign that you played good, consistent golf throughout the season. Uh, just to hit a couple of the highlights from the year earlier in the springtime, you won the four ball championship um, as well as the mid am team event later in the summer. And then in perhaps the two biggest tournaments of the year, the Stadium and the New Hampshire Mid-Am, you came in second and then T2. So great year. And what are your what are your thoughts about the 2022 season and how you played? Yeah, it's you know, it's interesting because I mean, team golf wise, it, it Mike and I have been pretty tough to beat over the years, regardless, but you know, we're always right in the mix. And and you know, we started winning again the last couple of years in, in some events, you know, won the mid-am team a couple of years ago. Then we, obviously we got the the four ball this year. That was amazing. I mean, it's just the finish. I think we touched upon it in the other one, so I don't go to two depth, but I mean I couldn't see in the dark in the playoff. And coincidentally, I ended up playing Brandon Gillis, who I ended up playing in the finals of the amateur. You know, I think that maybe I've had some more successful individual tournament seasons, you know, winning like something else. But I think that this year was probably the most consistent year that I've had throughout the course of the year. You know, I I, I was in everything, you know, and again, you know, even, you know, thinking about the amateur and going all the way to the finals. I mean, the first round I shot 81 and I was thinking about how I wasn't going to make the cut and 
a lot of crazy things happened after that. And there I was standing in the, in the finals, but you know, it's a, if in terms of like an encompassing the entire year, I look back on it pretty satisfied because there are lots of lose moving parts for me, you know, personal life, you know, having my kids go into summer camp and trying to get them there during the amateur. And then of course, finding myself in the bracket where I'm getting a seven o'clock tea time in Rye and having to leave my house at four 30. <laughs> right. So my mom and stepfather were instrumental in, in helping me this year and quite a bit and took the kids quite often. And my mom self-admittedly isn't the biggest golf fan. And I don't, really want to get into the reason why she's not, but she, um, she understands that it's a passion of mine and, uh, was willing to help me out. Now, if it was any other year, probably wouldn't have got, I would have got a bunch of no's on those, but, um, but this year she, she was, she was really good about it and helped me out and let me play a fuller schedule, which I think probably contributed to me, you know, winning the award. Is there a certain part of your game that you worked on that was maybe a little better this year? I mean, when you think about how you played good, consistent golf throughout the year. What about your game you think was just a little bit more maybe informed this year? I think I just I give credit to Laconia Country Club. I mean, I think the it was played firm and fast all year. So when I played golf, it was, you know, having to be patient and accept the fact that I might be 90 yards out, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to get any closer than 25 feet based on the firmness of the green. Um, and then really working on, and I've done this for years working. I feel like if you're good from eight to 15 feet and you make more putt, more of those putts than anybody else, you're always going to be in contention. You know, it, it, it might even be 25 feet. You know I mean? I, who knows when you get on the green, like people say, Oh, I hit it to six feet and they really hit it to 12, you know, but you know, I, I think you make those putts. I think it takes less pressure on your lag putts because if you hit it by six feet or you leave it short six feet, you're like, well, damn, I left it short. <laughs> but you make those putts all the time. So there's a little more familiarity to it. Um, I think that, you know, just basically being able to practice at the facility at Laconia and then being able to play in a championship-like condition all year long really benefited and helped out. Um, the last two years really have. You know, I'm two years back at Laconia after 20 years you know, not there and yeah. two-player year awards. So give yeah. some credit to them. Um, is when you start a golf season, is this award on your radar as something that you are aiming to win this year? Yes. Last year, not a chance. <laughs> I mean, I've played for years. I mean, I'm, I'm probably one of the more seasoned veterans now and the gray hair shows it. Um, but I, you know, 2011, I was, I won the amateur. I was second at the second low am at the open. I was second at the uh, stroke play. Um, I think I was third at the mid-am or fourth, and I didn't even come close because, you know, back then, like Nicky McDonald, you know, was second at the Open, was runner-up. He won the stroke play, was runner-up to me at the amateur. He played in the USAM. He won a match. I mean, so, like, boom. There is, you know, and then, you know, Phil had played in the, you know, Phil Pleat had played in the U.S. Senior and went all the way to the finals, and Chelsea Barrett went all the way to the finals. He was junior and lost at Jordan Spieth. So, like, the best year I ever had, I didn't even come close, so I never anticipated because I don't play the New England Amateur. I don't play in any of the USGA stuff. I mean, just with my children, I don't have the capability or time to do it. And it's not that I don't have the time work-wise because being a realtor, I can kind of maneuver things around and you know, I have plenty of people that can help me out there. But it's more along the lines of my kids. Like, I don't, I can't go for three nights during the middle of the week, especially at the week after our Amateur, to go play in the New England Amateur. Yeah, you know, I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to do it next year because I really like the woodlands up in Falmouth, Maine, and, and I, and I want to go play that. But... Uh, 
but again, it's, it's a sacrifice that I I've made over the years is not being able to test myself against the best players in the country. My goal is, is that by the time my kids are older in a decade or so that I'll start testing myself either at the U S mid am or the U S senior am level as I start approaching that age. Yeah. Range. One of the things I'm, I've been trying to do with this podcast in talking to some of the best players in the state is to get into the mental side of the game, which is obviously huge for, for us golfers. And if, if you wouldn't mind, I would like to go back to the final round of the Mid-Am uh, in October and just sort of talk a little bit about that final round for you and, you know, how your mindset, you know, was probably evolving through that round. So you start the final rounds, three-day tournament, you start the final round with a lead. Walk me through, you've, you already referenced it earlier, but walk me through that front nine, where you were yeah. at mentally and how you began to maybe shift things when you made the turn. So obviously knowing how solid both of the other two guys were, and I know Jeremy Duhamel um, was four hundred to start the round two, but he was relatively unknown to me. So like, I don't want to say I discredited him. Yeah, sure. But I saw, I was watching the leaderboard a little bit because the cart seemed to always be right in front of me. And, um, I, and I saw him go backwards pretty quick right off the bat. So um, I guess starting the day, I felt pretty good because I felt like I put myself in a pretty good position. Um, but I also felt like a little bit of the first couple of days, there was some smoke and mirrors. I mean, like I, I hold out a flop shot on 15 in the first round, you know, which doesn't happen, you know, especially from where I was. Um, I, you know, I bladed a wedge on eight the second round that ended up running up just perfectly to, you know, to um, three feet and I make birdie there. So there was a little bit of like inconsistency in my play, but I got away with it. Um, but I felt really good about the final round because I knew that those guys had to catch me and I knew the golf course was going to be set up more difficult, you know, and then James made a couple of bogeys real early on. And, and then I bogeyed three from the middle of the fairway, made a terrible swing. It was, you know, the greens really was really firm and I was trying to hit it to the front right and just accept, you know, 25 footer. And I pulled it in the bunker and there was really almost no chance to get up and down from where I was. And then I did birdie four because I kind of got a bad break. The ball bounced into a trap, into a fried egg lie. And I was trying to hit it in the traps, thinking that that's an easy bunker shot. And then five is really the point where I kind of feel like I kind of screwed myself a little bit. I hit a good shot that just trickled off the back right of the green, right down into a chipping area, but a very simple chip. And I they moved the tee up on six to the forward tee to get it, make the, the green drivable. And out of the corner of my eye, I saw Jamie Ferullo getting ready to hit and I was over the ball already. And I should have just backed off knowing that nobody was behind us. Like we were the last people in the event and I made a rushed decision and I chunked the chip. And so I made bogey and that like, and then that kind of almost as much as I tried to clear it and be like, well, it's just a bogey. I mean, I'm tied for lead now instead of, you know, whatever I should have just resettled myself. I didn't I kind of whiffed the next drive to a decent spot in the fairway. thought I had a perfect second shot Green was so firm on six, it just bounded over the green to a spot where you really weren't going to get up and down and make par. And I made bogey there. So that kind of started spiraling a little bit. And then I got a little bit of an unlucky break on on nine. Uh, hit a good tee shot. It just didn't get out of the rough. I tried to lay up to the bunker and it got down over the hill. And I was down, just, I mean, probably hit a 200-yard eight iron considering how much it rolled out. Um, had a reasonable lie. I thought I hit a perfect flop shot. It caught the lip of the bunker, rolled back into this little pop bunker. Hit a great bunker shot to like five feet, hit a good putt, but it kind of rode the verticut line and went dead left right off the start of the putt. And so I make bogey there. 
now all of a sudden I'm like, oh boy, like you're really just giving this away now. But then we had to wait on the 10th tee. So while we waited, and I, you know, I gave my little placard, my little scoring thing to Kate. And she goes, let's go, Jimbo. <laughs> it's always funny how she says it. Um, and I said, yeah, yeah. So then I hit a really good, you know, wedged about, you know, six, seven feet. And I make that. James made his. But I want to pause on this turn. So you you get to the break. You've got a little weight in the 10th holes, the short downhill part three. Yeah. Are you, you know, you're, you've realized you've given some strokes away. Are you then just trying to sort of forget the front nine and just focus on getting back into a, a more confident mode to play well on the second nine? Yeah, I just felt like, I mean, I, I recalled the first round how I kind of played poorly on the front as well, which realistically over the years, I've never really played the front nine spectacular. It's usually like eight on that I play well at the golf course, which is funny because I really don't like the back nine there. I hit, I, I, I was five under in the first round on, uh, on the on the back. So I knew there were birdies out there. My, my thought was, is I need to get this one. Like, let's just hit a good shot here and see if we can make one here because that'll settle everything out. Um, and, you know, and I knew that despite the fact that I had played poorly and gave up the lead, I think the lead was at three under. So I was one out of the lead, you know, or maybe Ryan was four. Uh, so maybe I was two back. I don't know. Oh, yeah, he was four because he part of all nine holes in the front, but neither one of them had really done anything yet. And they both had missed some putts and they both had hit a couple loose shots. So I'm like, neither one of them is on, on. So I felt like just go have a good nine and you, you know, you might be able to squeeze this away. You may play two or three under and maybe you, you, you win it, you know, at, you know, four or five under par. So that's what, I mean, that's what I did. I just focused on hitting that, that, that next wedge shot. Like I knew for those guys, it was like a little bit in between club where the pin was. And for me, it was just a full wedge, you know? So I hit, wedged the six feet and I made it and um, and it kind of settled me out and I started to get going a little bit. Any, and then as the, as you get towards 16, 17, 18, where, you know, 17 in particular is, tell me about 17, right? That's a very gettable yeah. par five and potentially. 17. Yeah. So just leading up to it, I, mean, I hit such great shots that I couldn't buy one to go in. It was like, I just burned the edges. Like from, I was like eight feet or in for every hole coming in. Um, and then 15, I mean, 15, I think is really what, what, where James won the tournament. Like I, I listened to the podcast we did with him and I, and, and to really go back and think about it again, I had, I hit kind of a lousy tee shot, kind of half hosled it over behind the rocks. And then I hit this towering wedge that I couldn't even see land. And I got up there and was eight feet behind the hole, you know, but as you know, cause you've played that hole, that green doesn't have much grass on it. It's not really that great a spot regardless probably one of my least favorite holes in the state. And I hit a pretty good putt. I thought that I just dribbled off the putter and it hit something and kicked it a little right and then missed on the high side and then wouldn't stop and went eight feet by. And I mean, and this is a putt that was like, I rolled maybe two or three revolutions. Um, and then James had actually hit a really good shot into about four feet. And so after I missed my comebacker for bogey, I think he intentionally missed the putt to make sure that he had a tap in. Like he literally like barely moved it. Like it was, it was one of the most surreal things. And Ryan was riding with me or we were talking about it. I go, that's, that's the shot that could win the tournament. Cause that was like, that was incredible to make that play, like not try to really make the putt, you know, try to just make sure you don't three putt from right. four feet. Just take an easy two um, putt par. Right. And then he, you know, and then fortunately for me, he bogeyed 16 to give me kind of a little more glimmer of hope. Um, and I hit the best shot I've hit 
probably ever on on 17, you know, drive-wise. Um, I had about 235 yards in and I hit a cut six iron that was like 15 feet straight uphill, um, right of the hole. Um, and I missed it on the high side, the Eagle putt. And uh, James, you know, does what James does and croaked one out there and I think he hit like sandwich in. Um, but, you know, so we both make birdies. So I'm still one back. And then I had a perfect lie in the middle of the fairway on 18, about 70, 78 yards, maybe 76 yards out. Um, and I decided, I, I thought if I hit it really high, it's not going to spin. So I have to try to make it, uh, make it be a spinner regardless of how it lands. Um, and from the yardage, you know, it was going to be kind of like a, a low kind of cut spinner off of the lie. Um, and I hit it perfect. It landed eight feet short and it just one bounce, second bounce doesn't, doesn't really spin and, and just trickles up to the back edge of the green. Um, and James hit it so far right that he was actually in a big thing of fescue and he was having trouble finding it. And actually Kohler's the one who found the ball. Um, and the shot he hit out of there was amazing. Cause like, he's like, that lies so bad. You can't even see it. So, you know, so I get the nightmare two years in a row where the guy beats me on 18. <laughs> phenomenal shot, but you know, this is what it is. Yeah. That's golf. Um, just to wrap yeah. up here as we approach the off season, uh, what do you do in the winter months? Uh, to you, um, you take time off or you do you go somewhere indoors and keep working on your swing and your game? Yeah, it's interesting. So for probably the past decade, I've really touched my clubs very limited during the off season. Um, if I've enjoyed the break, um, I would, uh, I coached high school basketball for 10 years. Um, and, you know, after parting ways with my ex-girlfriend back in um, January, February and finishing out that season, um, it was pretty difficult with the kids, you know, and I, I started thinking like, how am I going to be in Summersworth on a Tuesday night? My kids are supposed to be home, you know, or, or Matt, you know, now my, my, my son has a, is in third grade and he might have a practice on a Wednesday night that I can't be at cause of coaching. So I, uh, I resigned my position, uh, in March right after the season concluded last year. And, um, and now I'm just gonna, I don't know what I'm going to do. I think I'll probably, you know, my good friend, Matt Delois, um, who actually is kind of my swing instructor when I do occasionally see a pro for, for tips. Um, he is the rep for about golf for the simulator company. He lives in Pembroke and he has a simulator at his house above the garage. So um, I may go down there once a week, twice a week and just hit some balls and work on some things. I think my key, I may actually work with his wife a little bit, uh, Rachel, because she owns the Humble Warrior um, Yoga Studio in Bedford. And I need more flexibility. I mean, I keep getting shorter and I keep having to work really hard and I'm exhausted after all of these events because <laughs> I'm working my ass off just to be competitive. Whereas if I just took care of my body, maybe a little bit better. I might be in a little bit better shape come the end of the week. Yeah. Um, so I think that that's at least the flexibility part. And I'd like to get some weight off. I gained some weight this year, but um, I think that if I can gain a little bit more flexibility back, you know, I mean, 41, it's not going to get any easier. So yeah. might as well get into a better routine right now. Um, yeah. well, that, and then my kids want to learn how to ski. So I might spend some time at Gunstock too. Oh, good. Well, that sounds like a good plan for the off season. Um, well, again, congratulations on player of the year for the second year in a row. It was good to meet you and talk to you a couple of times on the podcast and look forward to seeing you next year. Thank you for listening. Granite State Golfers is produced by Dew Sweeper Productions. If you like the show, please share it with your friends and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcast. Until next time, tee it up, 
have fun, and go low.